The following interview originally aired on KPOV 88.9 on the Friday Point. You can listen to The Point 9 a.m. each weekday at 88.9 FM or at kpov.org. It often takes a great deal of courage to speak about things that make us uncomfortable. Well, we're at a point where we are going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. There are far too few people I know who could speak to the theft of Martin Luther King's words of wisdom. And just like the Bible and the unscrupulous sources that cherry-pick verses from the gospel to fit their narrative, so it goes with MLK, who exposed the world to the statement, they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Welcome back, my dear brother, Redmond City Councilman Clifford Evelyn. Good morning, Steve, and thanks for having me back again. It's, al- it's always my pleasure, that's for sure. I, I know a few people that are more involved and, and a more concerned citizen. So, <clears throat> last Friday night we attended a film, and I think we should discuss that film, at least in, to some degree. Oh, definitely, definitely, yes. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was the film um, Cool Streets. Um, it was put on by the Fathers Group, which is a great group out of Bend, uh, Oregon. Put on this documentary. They showed show the documentary. It's a very riveting documentary. As uh, whose streets basically is uh, poses a question that goes beyond geography and politics. Uh, basically, it was events of a seismic uh, proportion, and the vast majority of people that lived in this town experienced something they never thought they would experience in their life. And so. Um, this is a very good film. I was uh, fortunate enough to be asked to sit on a question and answer panel when the film was uh, com- completed, and it was a great uh, discussion. And I mean, this, we need to have more of those discussions here in Central Oregon. And uh, the, the film was just outstanding. And so, just let me give you a little bit of insight on what the film was about. So, uh, on August 9, 2014, a young man, 18 year old by the name of Michael Brown, was shot and killed after stealing goods from a convenience store. There's different stories about what actually happened, but the goods that he stole from, a, from the convenience store was nothing more than a, a box of switzers, which is a, a type of cigar, a cigar that comes in a box. Basically, they said that uh, he's walking down the middle of the street, the police car was, the squad car was going down the street, they said he fit a description of a person that just robbed the store. Uh, the police told him to come over to, to the car. He came over. They started talking. Next thing you know, an altercation based on what they said broke out. And um, Michael Brown pulled away from the police officer that was still in the car, started walking down the street. And the uh, police officer's name was Dan Wilson. So uh, he fled the scene, basically, and um, Wilson followed him. And while following Michael Brown, he shot him 12 times, you know, and one of the shots was the, the blow that killed him. You know, so, uh, I mean, you know, working in law enforcement, being a commander and understanding law enforcement, that set the fuse and everything in motion was that incident right there. I remember somewhat clearly because there was actually a demonstration here in Bend over that murder. And uh, it, it was really well attended. And that was a number of years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it's kind of interesting because um, when the police uh, officials was, uh, uh, you know, when they were trying to address the, the matter and what happened, what the police did, they kind of released a video of Michael Brown in the convenience store 
arguing with the convenience guy, the guy that works in the convenience store. Um, you know, so that was a whole other issue, right? Uh, but what really made things bad was the fact that he got shot. They left him in the street. I think he sat there for almost, laid there for almost nine hours, you know, his body. You know, no one could go near him. The police kept everybody away from him. You know, so the town guy was an outrage because they didn't know what happened. No one would talk to them, you know. And um, let me let me also let you guys know that this is a town that is, is, is 67% black and is run by all white police officers. The Department of Justice did an investigation into this matter as well. And one of the things that caught my attention when I kind of read the DLJ report, they, they insinuated that Ferguson was like a plantation run by white slave owners. I mean, uh, we're talking about a police department that's supposed to be there to protect and serve these individuals, but instead there was overseeing them like they were slaves on a plantation and they were being treated like that. A number of other issues came up in that investigation that was actually documented, which is even more silly to me that these individuals actually document this information of how they would approach and harass young black men that was like 12, 13, 14 years old, beat them up, you know, rough them up and things like that. But the parents was too afraid to file a complaint because this is how much um, oppression was going on in this town through the police department. And in my, in my opinion, that's an abuse of power, period. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe that the vast majority of the money that was required to run Ferguson was primarily supplied by traffic stops. Yes, that, that did come up. You know, I don't know all the specifics of it, but that's exactly right. That came out during the, the film documentary. I mean, think about that. So they had to do a lot of damn traffic stops in order to run a town on the, the fees that they collected from it. So it means... People were probably being stopped on a regular basis. Well, not probably. They were being stopped on a regular basis. And, you know, and this is another form of corruption. Uh, see, corruption comes in many types of forms, you know, and uh, this is another way to show you another form of corruption. Even that kind of callous attitude about traffic stops is going to bleed over into the, into the rest of the, the policing situation. As I examined it back then, it looked pretty bad from all angles. We have talked about this before, you know, and, you know, working in law enforcement, you know, I, I, and I, I, I always bring this up, you know, it's very important that officers are held accountable for bad behavior. And when they're not held accountable for bad behavior, this is the outcome that you get. I'm telling you, bad behavior from police officers spreads like a virus throughout the police department. Everybody starts doing it because it becomes the norm. And then you get new officers in there, and to them, that's the norm. And... It goes on and on and on. And in this situation, the people in this town, they just wanted some answers about why was he killed? Was it legit to kill him? And they wouldn't even answer them. Instead of answering them and having a dialogue with them, what they did, they brought out their police force in all this military gear and jeeps and, I mean, everything was camouflaged looking, you know, and they brought the dogs out. I mean, there's supposed to be police officers serving the public. Police officers are public servants. They're not there to be like a dictatorship over any town or city in the United States of America. But that's what it gets to. And that's what it got to in this case. And that, as you know, was a recipe for disaster because you had the citizens of the city demanding answers, wanting to know what happened. You had the police force on the other side basically saying, 
we don't owe you any kind of explanation. We're not going to give you any kind of explanation and get your ass off the street and go back into your house and shut up. And that didn't turn out right. And that turned into a mess, as we know, if you watch the documentary. And I urge everyone to watch this documentary. Yeah, it, it definitely clears up a lot of the questions. And I hate to say it because we've talked about this before, but it appears that instead of it really examining things closely, we've gotten used to the idea, well, that's in the past, let's get over it, let's move forward. And that hasn't worked out well for us at all, because the, the shootings have been on a steady increase. And if you don't stop these things at the lowest level, this is all you can really expect. Well, Steve, what you just now said is absolutely correct, because if you think about it, Michael, the Michael Brown situation happened, happened in 2014. Here we are in 2022. So my question to everyone that's listening, how many deaths have we had of black individuals by police officers from 2014 to now? And it's still going on. You know, we just had George Floyd not too long ago. We had Dante Wright, you know. And if you look at the situation, I mean, these guys didn't commit a violent crime. You know, George Floyd, he got killed over what they said was a, a fake $20 bill that he gave to a convenience store owner, and they called the police. That's not worth dying for. And to this day, I haven't seen the $20 bill, and no one even has brought it up to talk about the $20. Was it really fake or was it not? And I guess my question is, how many of you in my listening audience really identified a fake $20 bill right off the top? You know, that's not something that we as regular citizens deal with every day. You know, you get somebody give you change back, you get a $20 bill, that you figure you got a $20 bill. You go to the store, you give somebody a $20 bill. You don't, like, examine it to make sure it's real or unreal. And most people couldn't identify the difference. That's the first thing. Then you got Dante Wright. You know, he got killed. And he got killed over some BS law about not having air fresheners in your car because it obstructs your, your view. I mean, think about that. We have cars that we drive every day, and every car has blind spots in them. And I can tell you what, that blind spot in your car that's naturally built into the car, because it's part of the car, is much bigger than an air freshener and does more of obstructing a view than an air freshener. See, these are laws that set up to set people up. There's no question about it. You know, I think it's safe to say, you know, and I've driven for years, but, you know, there's any number of reasons that you could be pulled over legally, but that, you know, they have to identify that it seems like that's just too trivial to even stop somebody over, uh, considering that there's people out there driving with broken headlights and all kinds of stuff. Uh, You're absolutely right. But they wrote that into their policies, into their rules, that this is a traffic infraction, so you got to pull people over for that. But my question is, you know, you know, how many people do they actually pull over for that? You know what I'm saying? Well, I think in I Ferguson, mean, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, I got an air freshener in my car. I've always drove with air freshener since I was growing up, growing up in New York. You know, I always got an air freshener in my car hanging from the mirror. You know, I don't get pulled over for things like that because that's a nonsense stop. That's a fake stop. That's a problematic stop. And all that does is irritate situations and makes things more explosive. You know? Most definitely. You know, I, want, I want to touch on, uh, before I know time is short here, but... I want to touch on the question and answer session that we had after we watched this documentary, which I found very interesting because, you know, this is why we need to do this more often. I would love to bring this to Redmond and other parts of Central Oregon, you know, because 
this is how people get to talk and have dialogue and start understanding things and saying, why is that? You know, um, as Rachel Maddow would say, why is that? I saw that one time on a commercial, right? <laughs> but anyway, you know, because people was like saying, uh, one young lady, she was from Los Angeles, California, and she was talking about how the police in Los Angeles have always been basically jerks and treat people in Los Angeles very badly, especially the black population. Now, this is a young black woman, and she's pretty young. I'm not, I don't know how old she was, but I'm, I'm thinking she's probably my kids' ages, like in their 30s and uh, in her 30s and stuff like that. But because she doesn't know the history of Los Angeles, she didn't know why they acted like that. So fortunately, I lived in Los Angeles at the time when a lot of this stuff was going on, so I gave her the answer. And the answer was Los Angeles had a police chief by the name of Dow Gates who was basically a dictator. He, his power got too big in Los Angeles, and he instructed his police department to basically abuse and oppress people of color all throughout Los Angeles. And that's what they did. You know, and because she didn't know this history, she didn't even know that it even happened. She says, I didn't even know that even took place. Because, and this is why history is so important, but as you can see, people are trying to stop other people from learning history because they don't want the truth to come out. Exactly. It, you know, as I said in the opening, you know, look how far we haven't come in 400 years. We need to start paying attention and to see films like this. And the discussion afterward, the film was excellent. I was there. I was quite happy to see uh, Redmond's police chief and police captain there. Captain. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. This is the sort of dialogue that we need to have and have law enforcement involved in as well. You know, Redmond is on the right track. You know, I, uh, uh, Chief Devin is, uh, Lewis is like a great guy and, and uh, his captain, Aaron, I can't remember Aaron's last name right now, but these guys are on the right track. They want to know, they want to get involved. They want to make sure that their police department consists of the best officers and the best, uh, public service or servants that you can provide in the police department. You know, that's very important. See, and another big problem, right? to me in america is the fact that if you look throughout america and everything that goes on when it comes to race we when i say we black americans are identified as the problem and we are the enemy and this is so problematic we know we got to live here we got brought here as slaves we're forced to live in this country okay and but, but we're identified as, as as the enemy you know and we're not the enemy you know and every time uh you know a black person is in a store whether they're driving down the street, whether they're walking down the street, there's always this presumption of guilt that they did something, you know. And I'm not making this up. I'm 70 years old. I've been around a while. I can tell you that, you understand. And I've never stole nothing in my life from a store or nothing like that. But I've been followed in stores numerous times. I've been pulled over numerous times. I've been beat up once in Los Angeles for no reason at all and taken to jail and then released because they didn't have anything on me. They just... I was just black, you understand? So this stuff actually happens, you know? So I don't care how many people in this part of the country don't believe that's true. I'm telling you it is true, and I'm, I'm living proof of it. I'm not angry about it. I'm upset about it because I don't want my kids getting beat up. I don't want anybody's kids beat I don't care what color the kid is. I don't want any kid being harassed or oppressed or, you know, bullied or any of that kind of stuff because that's not how we're supposed to live in America. No, not at all. And, you know, knowing a, a, quite a bit about your inside story, you've told me that that's why you got into police work is because you wanted to see it. You wanted to see policing become more respectable. Uh, as a matter of fact, at that 
uh, film, somebody brought up the term peace officer. And I would like to think that we could get back to a place in our society where we referred to the police as peace officers. Yep. Actually, I was the one that brought that up because when I was growing up in New York, that's what they were called. They were called peace officers. I mean, we call them police, too, but, you know, they was... Their description was peace officers. Their their job was to keep peace within our city, you know. And um, but you know, you know, you could just look at. I mean, I've seen police reports, so many police reports, and I look at the verbiage and what people say. Good example: this guy Darren Wilson. When they looked at his police report, he likened Michael Brown. He identified Michael Brown as a demon. Now, there's a police officer writing a, a, a official report, and he called a human being a demon. You know, in an official report, when they were discussing that report, it was discussed, and I think it was George Stephanopoulos that was interviewing him. You can see on George Stephanopoulos' face, he was like stunned that the the guy actually said that on national TV. It was on ABC, you know, and he was like, I mean, at the same time, after calling the man a demon, he tried to say he was he he had no racial animosity towards people of color. I mean, okay, literally this Batman. <laughs> who, who thinks like that? Who, I mean, that has got to be the most illogical thing to say after just calling somebody a demon. Yeah. You know, so this is what we're dealing with. And this is why having good police officers on our forces and holding them accountable is so important. Yes. Cliff, I hate, I hate to say it, but we've run out of time. I think we've covered a good deal of what we wanted to cover. But thanks again for being a concerned citizen and a city councilman. Let's keep Central Oregon nice and safe. Well, thank you very much for having me again. And I want to thank all the listeners for listening in. And always stay tuned to KPOV because we got some information for you. Right on. Have a great day, you guys. Right on. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, please visit kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcasts at kpov.org.